Well, all right, let me, uh, let me come together here. Okay, so last week we talked about uh, uh, this idea of covenant. We, we introduced this idea that God is a God of covenant. And really the, the, the big word covenant can be uh, married with another word that's just easier for us to understand. That's relationship. That at the beginning God established a relationship uh, with his people. And even before that he had this covenant of redemption that he had in in mind in in his idea in his plan and he he made this covenant of redemption um, amongst himself the the triune god the father son and holy spirit got together and they made a covenant we are going to make man and we're going to redeem man and we're going to bring him to ourselves and it's a glorious covenant that we see throughout trace throughout the scripture today we're going to take a part of the old covenant we talked about the old covenant and new covenant last time and uh Praise God that we're under the new covenant. Praise God that we're under a covenant of grace. Today we're going to talk about a particular covenant under the old covenant, and that's what's called the Adamic covenant. Now, the Adamic covenant is really God's covenant that he made with who? Adam. Yes, very good. So if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis. We'll be hanging out mostly in Genesis today. A few passages in... uh, We'll do a few passages in um, the New Testament as God uh, reveals to us through his word that uh, Adam is mentioned also, I don't know if you knew this, uh, several times in the New Testament as well. Before we dive into talking about God's covenant with Adam, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, God, for the truth that in you all will be well, all must be well. We do expect a expect a a bright tomorrow, God, and we're grateful for that. Lord, I pray that you would teach us something from your word tonight. God, we uh, rely on you. We, we look to you. We love you. We pray this in your good name. Amen. So if you have your copy of Scripture, turn to Genesis chapter number 1. Genesis chapter number 1. We're looking at verse 26. <clears throat> Genesis 1, starting verse 26. Now, at this point in the the grand scheme of things, along God's plan of creation, we come to... Uh, when he is going to create man. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, what does he say? He says, let us, us, he says, let us make man in our image. God is not talking to the angels and say, hey, angels, let's make man in our image. We see that this triune God has this triune relationship with himself. And he says, hey, let us make man in in our image. Okay, good. You can see that. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, the creeping thing is not talking about seventh graders. The creeping thing is just talking about animals. I know sometimes seventh graders kind of pull out of the human race and be their own species, but uh, just kidding. Who's seventh graders in here? I'm just picking on you. Y'all are not awake yet. Okay. So first of all, we see in this passage right here that God has this, he starts, he starts the wheels turning of developing this relationship with man. He makes man, he says, uh, in our image, after our likeness. So first of all, one of the things we need to look into is, is understand the nature of God. That God is the supreme creator. That there's a Latin phrase that's used that describes how he created. And that Latin phrase is called... <clears throat> Ex nihilo. Now, ex nihilo just means out of nothing. Ex 
nil, out of nothing. So we have this term that we, that we use when we talk about creation, that God stood on nothing and made everything. He made everything out of nothing, ex nihilo. He created. So he's a creator God. He's a sovereign king. He's a righteous judge, and he's our savior. He's our only hope. So sometimes when you look at the covenants, when you look at creation, you've got to understand the nature of God, too. He's triune. He's a trinity. He's uniquely committed to himself within his own community. That's important to know when you're dealing with covenants. God also is self-existent and self-sustaining. Good news. Maybe for some of us it's shocking news. But God, God doesn't need us. He has everything he needs. When you go to different parts of the world, they have these little shrines and temples built. And they have to put little bread cakes up the little stairs for their God, their deity that they pray to. They have to feed him. We don't have to feed our God. He's self-sustaining and self-existent. That's who God is. That's who this creator is that's creating man. And he creates man in his own image. Now, I've often wondered, like, what's going on with that? We see that God created man in his own image. We are unique in the sense that we are the only thing in creation, in the created order, that is created in the image of God. We have this unique reflection of God. There's this, uh, this mental reflection that we have of God. There's also a moral reflection that we have of God. There's also a, like a social reflection that we have of God. A mental reflection is that we're creative. No other <clears throat> species out there is creative. Uh, I see some of the things that, that my kids can come up with. I'm like, wow, that's, that's creative. We see art and music. That's part of this, this creativeness that God has given us. It's part of what it means to be in the image of God. God is a very creative God. And being made in His image, in His likeness, we reflect part of His creativity. <clears throat> we also, we, we reflect part of His morality. There's a sense of right and wrong that, that I think most of us are just born with. Now, it doesn't mean that all of us do right. Understand? Because if you have kids, you know that children aren't born with a sense to do right. Children are born with a nature of sin. They want to sin. They're born into sin. It's by nature and by choice. But there is this moral element that we have to us when, when, when someone is, who is innocent, who is being trampled upon, we have something that stirs within us. So we have this morality about us, this mentality about us, this... this uh, and also God, this uh, socialness that God has, that God wanted to make man and establish a community. That's why it's so important to be involved with church. So the triune God with, in the relationship that he had with himself is making man, and we reflect that part of God as well. So being made in the image of God, there's certain things, certain qualities of God that we can kind of reflect. Uh, we are utterly reliant upon God. Uh, not only are we unique in our reflection of God, but we are utterly reliant on God. Your breathing tonight is only happening because God is sustaining your life tonight. The reason that your skin hadn't fallen off is because God is holding you together. The reason that you have food and water is because God provides. We are utterly reliant on God, and we are also responsible to Him. We're also created not just in the image of God, but we're created... For the purpose of God as well. Uh, one of the purposes of God in relation to his creation of us is our relationship with God. God created us 
to have a relationship with him. And that's where we get into this Adamic covenant. That's where we're going to start looking into where God sets the boundaries and, and opens up the, 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 the box and says, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to establish a covenant with you because I'm a covenant God. I'm a relationship God. I'm not just going to throw you out there and say, hey, look, it's great. Won't you enjoy it? If you mess up, hey, it'll be okay. But no, God doesn't work like that. God works within relationship. And so we have a, this relationship with God. We also were created for the purpose to rule over all creation. And that's interesting, but it's, it's true. And we're to re- reproduce God's glory to the ends of the earth. So we see passage um, in Genesis chapter 1. Let's look down into 27 if you're still tracking along in chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Now you notice how that's said three times? It's very emphatic. It's there for a reason. God said, I created them in my image. I created them. I created them. It's just, it's just God just saying three times, I did it. I created him. I created him. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There you go, hunters, right there. There's your, there's your verse to justify you can go out and hunt now. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. So God says... Um, And he says, you shall have them for food. So at the beginning, God actually created man to be vegetarian. I must say, I must admit to you, some of y'all don't know this, but I'm actually a vegetarian. Unless there's meat in front of me. And if there's meat in front of me, um, just watch your fingers. But but right here at the beginning, where God is established in this covenant, this relationship, he says, you're going to have uh, the plants for food. In verse 30, he says... And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Now, this is what's called within the Adamic covenant. There's another covenant tucked away. It's called the Edenic covenant. God has set up, he's established the Adamic covenant, his relationship, his covenantial relationship with Adam. But in the middle of that is this Eden covenant. That's what we see here. God's saying this is how it's going to be. This is what's going to happen. You see, he's, he's like setting the boundaries. The details of this Edenic covenant include uh, the following. Mankind, male and female, created in God's image. So this is what's going to happen. I'm going to create mankind, male and female, in my image. Mankind's going to have dominion. He's going to have rule to rule over the animal kingdom. God's essentially saying this relationship is going to be like this. I'm going to create man in my image, and I'm going to like that. It's going to be good. And then I'm going to turn over to them, rule. They're going to be my deputies. They're going to be deputies over the created order. And then you also have divine directive for mankind to do what? To reproduce. Be fruitful and multiply. To inhabit the entire earth. And the next part in the uh, Edenic covenant is that we get... Um, to be vegetarians. And it's true. God didn't want us to eat meat yet. And we see later in Genesis, Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, and this is within the Noahic covenant. The Noahic covenant is God's covenant with Noah. Through that covenant, God gives us the the freedom to uh, eat meat. And that's good. He says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I have given you the green plants, I give you everything. 
So at first, God established Adam and Eve in the garden, the Edenic covenant for them to be vegetarians. But later, and we'll get to Noah later because that's a whole covenant in of itself. God gives us freedom to eat meat. Eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is what's prohibited. Death is the stated penalty. Let's let's look in verse uh, 16 of Genesis chapter 2. Within this Edenic covenant. Okay, you got the details. Making you in my image. Giving you dominion. You got to reproduce. Got to have some babies. You got to be vegetarian. And then he says in verse 16, chapter 2, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat, you shall what? Surely die. You're going to die if you eat fruit from that tree. Okay. That shouldn't be too hard. I mean, Adam and Eve, you know, they're by themselves in the garden. The only thing that they're told not to do was to eat the fruit from one tree. Things are going pretty good so far. They're in paradise. They have no problems. Zero problems. Everything is perfect for them. And God said, just don't touch that tree. Enter the serpent. Satan comes and throws a kink in things. I think maybe the only thing hard that Adam and Eve had was naming all the animals. I mean, I just was thinking about that today. Like, how do you come up with all the names for all the monkeys and, and the rhinoceros? And you know, That would be kind of fun. Sometimes uh, preachers can just make up words and, hey, you know, why not just make up words for animals? But anyway, let's look at what happens when the serpent shows up on the scene. Into the serpent, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now, by now, in our story, the Edenic covenant is set in place. This is what I'm. This is what is going to happen with you, talking to, to to male and female. And then he says, "You can't touch the fruit." The Edenic covenant is paradise. It's perfect. Everything's fine. Genesis chapter three, verses one through seven. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "Did God actually say?" You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, because he asked a pretty good question and a pretty smart question, because why he's crafty. Um, No, we may eat of the fruit in the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, And it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And sometimes women get a bad rap for this. But the dude was standing right there. Okay. Adam was standing there and he's like, okay. You know. Yeah, the snake is talking to the woman. Look, ladies, don't listen to snakes. They're talking to you. Just a lot of people say the best snake's a dead snake. Maybe... Maybe Adam should have come wielding a big machete at this point and lopped his head off. But they listened to the serpent. And Adam also listened to the serpent. He listened to his wife, listened to the woman. And they ate. Her husband was with her. He ate. 
Verse 7, And the eyes of both were open, and, when, and then they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So at this point, I think it's okay to establish who Satan is a little bit too. Sometimes it's good to talk about the nature of certain things, the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature of Satan. Uh, here's some significant truth that I think you ought to know about Satan. Satan is a creature. He's created, but God is a creator, okay? God is the one who's sovereign. God is a creator, and Satan is a creature. God is sovereign. Satan is subordinate, okay? There's not some dualism going on. There's not like God over here and he's fighting Satan over here and then Satan gets an upper hand and then God gets an upper hand and it's kind of like the, the, the bat coming up trying to pick whose side or, or whatever. It's, it's nothing like that. There's no equal dualism happening here. It's God is completely dominant, domination, full-blown. Satan is just a subordinate creature, created. He, they, he rebelled in heaven, was cast out. God threw them down. He, he created hell for Satan and his demons and his angels. And it must have made a point because there hadn't been another rebellion in heaven. So that's who Satan is. There's significant characteristics too. Satan can speak and Satan is smart. <clears throat> I'm not saying that God or that Satan's going to come to you in the form of a serpent. You're not going to wake up one day and see a snake in your yard and he's going to look up to you and say, Hey, I don't know how to point. It would be a snake. Snakes don't point. He's not going to, serpents aren't going to talk. But Satan can use yourself. He can use your mental voice that you talk to yourself with. There's ways that Satan can get to you. He's crafty. The Bible says he's crafty. Satan is malicious. He's a liar. He's an evil murderer. He wants to destroy you and me and everything about us. So you have the serpent. You have Satan. Then sin comes onto the scene at this moment too in, in God's story. The core of sin really is rejecting God's word. Who's, that's, that's whose voice we listen to. Whose voice do you listen to? We have to listen to God. Not only is sin rejecting God's word, sin is spurning God's authority. It's shoving a face in God's authority and saying, I'm going to rule my heart. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. They said, we're going to establish a better covenant. This is what you said to do, but we're going we're gonna to do something else. That's what sin is. Sin is saying to God, I don't really, I don't really like your way. I, I want to do my thing my way. And it doesn't ever work. Sin also is denying God's character. Who will you trust and who will you obey? Yourself. Sin in its very nature is destructive. It denies who God is. There's a conflict brought about by sin. The conflict between man and God, there's guilt, there's shame, there's fear. You see that they, they realized that they were, they were naked before God and they, they, they sewn some garments together so they could cover up. There's a conflict between man and woman now. You know, I mean, you know that, that, that conversation came up later. I told you about the, I can't you really listen to that snake. You were there too. This is when domestic disputes started. One bite from a piece of fruit. Consequences of sin, immediate spiritual death, and eventually physical death. The Adamic covenant is established as a result of Adam's sin. Now, in this passage, we don't have the word covenant. But what you see 
is, and make a note of this because it's not going to come up. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 7, Hosea is talking about Israel. He's talking about his people. God, God is referring to, to his children. Says this in Hosea 6, 7. But like Adam, they, talking about his people, transgressed the covenant. So the prophet Hosea is referring to the covenant that God made with Adam. My people have sinned like Adam. They've transgressed my covenant. So the Adamic covenant is established as a result of Adam's sin. Now listen to what the covenant states in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, 16 says, To the woman he said, this is when God catches him. I mean, you read, go, go and read all the story. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. This is God speaking. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your des- desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Watch it, guys. Don't use that verse against your wife. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. At this point, when Adam and Eve are hearing this, they're probably thinking, what in the world is he talking about? But they realize They realize that they broke the covenant. And God says, this is what's going to happen. So as a result, we see in this passage, as a result of Adam's sin, the following curses were pronounced. God is pronouncing a curse upon man, upon Adam, upon Eve, upon us. He says, first of all, there's going to be enmity between Satan and Eve and all of her descendants. So today, you struggle with temptation. Today, you're, you're, you're warring. You feel like Satan's coming after you. The reason is because Adam broke the covenant in the garden. That's the reason that there's, that there's enmity between you and Satan. And Eve and all of her descendants shall experience that enmity between Satan and human. There's temptation, there's doubt, there's fear, there's unbelief. All those temptations that God can spare us from and save us from. It's all a result of the broken covenant. There's also painful childbirth for women. Now, if, if you're a mom in here... Um, I could probably say, well, what's more, what's more painful, um, giving birth or raising your child? And I think all, all the moms would say, well, it's a lot more painful raising a kid with their mistakes and their attitudes and all the things that come with that. And a lot of moms say, I just, once I held my child for the first time, I forgot about the pain. So God's not saying, well, it's going to hurt for a little bit. He's establishing the fact that parenting is one of the hardest, most painful things that's going to happen to you. If Adam and Eve didn't break the covenant in the garden, parenting would be a piece of cake. But just like childbirth, child rearing is painful. Not only is there painful uh, childbirth and child rearing, but there's marital strife. How much, how much pain can a little bite of fruit actually cause in marriage? There's marital strife. At this point, Adam and Eve, they weren't, they weren't always happy with one another. They had, there was strife there. Always. The soil is cursed. 
God says, you're going to work now. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to work. Because of that broken covenant in the garden is the reason that so many people in this room are just suffering because of your jobs. It's not that you, you've made a bad decision, maybe. It's not that, well, it's just because you have to work. To work. You have to work. And I go up to somebody and I'll say, hey, how was work this week? And you say, it was work. Why is it work? Because there was a covenant broken. It's work. It's work. Not only is the soil cursed, we have to work to provide for our families. But there's an introduction of thorns and thistles. And what God is saying here is he's introducing thorns and thistles to the, to, to the program here. This is just something that's natural that causes pain. You ever run through the woods and you've got scratched by a thorn? Thistles can chew up and mess up the planting, that kind of thing. Thistles and thorns in this passage is just something natural that causes pain. Katrina. Earthquake. Tsunamis. Mudslides. Drought. Anything that you can think of, it's of the natural order that causes any pain whatsoever would never happen if the covenant in the garden wasn't broken. People say, well, Katrina came and the storms came to the coast because of all the casinos. Nope. That destructive storm, the tsunami that wiped out thousands. Every storm, every earthquake, every avalanche, everything in nature that has killed or hurt anyone is because of one little bite from a little piece of fruit in a garden. And we have thorns, we have thistles. It goes on to say that not only those things is going to happen as a result, these curses, but also survival is going to be a struggle. What happens when people are in survival mode? I was thinking about this. I think one of the things that happens when people are in survival mode is war. When countries, when nations are warring, when tribes are warring with one another, they're in survival mode. Here's the deal. This is big, weighty stuff. All the wars that have happened throughout all of history are a result from a bite from a piece of fruit in a garden. All of them. All of them. And God says this is what's going to happen. The thorns and the thistles. Survival. Not only that, death is introduced. God says, you and your descendants, all of them, you're going to die. Adam breathes it. Honestly, 930-something years later, when Adam breathed his last breath, I really honestly believe when he was an old man, he was thinking about that tree. Hundreds of years later, he was thinking about that fruit. Looking at all the horrible things going on around him, he was thinking about that piece of fruit. Just got to believe he was. Death is an inescapable fate of all living things because of one bite from one piece of fruit in a garden. That seems pretty harsh. Seems like these curses are pretty severe. They're inescapable. But in the middle of all this, in the book of Genesis, there's a wonderful, wonderful promise of grace that was also included in the Adamic Covenant. It's called the proto-gospel, the first gospel, the proto-evangelion, however you want to call it. We see this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is a beautiful thing that God says, that he's, he's talking this covenant and this relationship with Adam and Eve. He's establishing what's going on. And he turns to Satan and God says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the hill. 
This is the first declaration of the gospel. Genesis 3.15. This proto-gospel points us to the centrality of Christ in all of Scripture. The Bible is a story of redemption. It spans from creation all the way to the end of recreation. And through that whole story, the gospel is what is at the core that there is one to come that's going to make the covenants come together. There's one to come, and, this, and these, all these covenants are going to... And they're, they're made new in the new covenant. And Jesus Christ is a central figure in all of Scripture. Redemption is only possible through the Redeemer. This first gospel that was proclaimed leaves us holding on to hope. God says to Satan, you will be defeated. This is how it's going to be. This is how the generations of man, this is what they're going to live through. But he tells Satan, you're going to be defeated. You're going to be destroyed. Sin will be destroyed. God's creation will be restored. God's people will be rescued. God, today, as he did then, he seeks out the guilty. He found me. Someone who's guilty of sin. I inherited my sin nature. From my first parent, Adam. So did you. But he seeks out the guilty. He covers up our shame. He protects the fearful. There's a fountain. Listen to me. Let me describe it like this. There's a fountain of death. That, that it was established. That is flowing from Adam and the garden. There's a fountain of death. And if you think of like a slope on a hill. And like a stream of, uh, of just horrible filth is flowing from this fountain of death. What happened is Jesus Christ came on to the scene in the middle of that historical scene of, of, of the first people that, that took that fruit and they fell dead spiritually into sin. From that moment, we inherited Adam's sin nature. You can be mad at Adam if you want to. But ever since then, there's been this generation after generation, this this line of death that every person is born into. Every person is born in this line of death. Well, Jesus comes onto the scene and pours out his blood and he redeems. And what happens is, if you think of like uh, a stream of water, if, if a electrical current hit at one point in that stream... Wherever that stream flows through, 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 through the rest of the, its, its destination is going to be affected by that electrical current and also up too. And so what happens is Jesus comes onto the, onto the scene and he steps into that death flow. And it's like a jolt of holiness, of righteousness, of perfection. And that holiness travels up to where Adam first fell dead into sin. And it travels down through the rest of creation. So here you are today. If you're a new covenant believer, listen to me. All of your sins are taken care of. They're gone. Wiped away. All of them. Now, if you're not a believer, if you've not received Jesus as your Savior, then there's this stream of death that started at Adam and it's flowing through your heart. It's flowing through your mind and it's there. And you know it's there. Especially if you're here. Because you see the glorious picture of this, this stream of life and you want that and you want to dive into it and you want it to pour through you and change everything about you. And that's what God does in redemption when He redeems His people. There's this big flow of death and He says, I'm going to establish something better and my Redeemer is going to come 
He's going to redeem people. People for myself. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. And they'll be free. Free to live. Free to worship. Free to have hope. Free to love. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 22. And I really think in, in, in my mind when I'm visualizing this fountain of death flowing from Adam and this fountain of life flowing from Christ that just demolishes the fountain of death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 22 says, For in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So yeah, the Adamic covenant was tough. Some big, heavy, weighty curses pronounced on man. And you're feeling the effects of those today. Today. But hang on to hope. Hang on to your defender. Hang on to your redeemer. That first song that we sang today was, There's a fountain filled with blood and flows from Emmanuel's veins. We don't sing stuff like that anymore. A fountain filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins? But that fountain of life that's flowing from the heart of God takes people like you and me. It says, what old covenant? What curse? What fruit? What thistle? What thorn? They're gone. Wiped away. So what do we do with that today? Well, here we are today. Hearing about Adam who lived thousands and thousands of years ago. We're also experiencing Adam's effects of that broken covenant. But here's what you do. You come to the Lord. You come to that life-giving fountain. And you find your hope. You find your forgiveness. All the pain and the shame that Adam and Eve felt. You find yours gone. You find life in Him. Tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work and speak to, to us, to, to, to show us your ways, to let us see and understand that there's a fountain that's full of life and it's demolished the fountain of death that we inherited from Adam. Lord, I pray that we respond to you. I pray that we love you and rejoice because in you we have peace and hope and life. You've taken our guilt. You've taken our shame. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.